sorry for the uh, turbulence over here. On the stand, go live. Okay. Okay. Welcome, everybody. So, second hand. I want to get this completed. The mimer we were learning this. This is going to be class number four on this. Amazing discourse. Okay. With learning, and we concluded last night. Again, this is part four, so I would recommend listening to part one, two, and three. If you want to understand this last part, um, well. Tonight, today's class should be Luschus, alias Neshama. This is for an honor was sponsored by... Ruth Seliger, and this is in honor of her father's yard site that was today. Yehuda ben Menachem Mendel. May his neshama have a great aliyah to the greatest of heights. You channel lots of brachas to you and to your family. May we be reunited with him down here. Thank you for the dedication. Okay. So we were learning this mimer. And um, we are holding in the bottom of page, yesterday I already learned a little bit here and I was rushing through it. So I want to just quickly go over. The main akud that we were learning over again, we're talking about the birth of Moshe Rabbeinu and why the introduction to that birth is the idea of a man came from the house of Levi, so there must be that there's something about the Levite family that um, was, and the idea of Levi that uh, enables the birth of Moshe Rabbeinu, and he's taking the daughter of Levi. So the whole time it's emphasizing very much the idea of Levi. So the idea that we learned in the Mimer was that Levi means attachment, the same idea of the Leviyasam. The prize after Mashiach comes is we're going to have the Leviyasam. What does that mean? We're going to enjoy and appreciate and see a world perfectly attached to God. That's the Leviathan. And that's the result of all our Levi actions. And what does Levi mean? Attached, like it says by Leah, Leah, she said, Upon your love, Ishi today my husband will attach himself to me, will accompany me. And that means as follows. In the minor, we discussed two levels of attachment. There's attachment that we have to do, and as a consequence of our attachment, there is a consequence, a reciprocal, a reciprocal um, 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 attachment that happens from above. And the Nakuda is, the idea is as follows, that the whole life force of creation, the entire flow of divine energy to create the world, is really only a ray of God. And that ray itself is in a constant process of diminishment, diminishment and diminishment and diminishment. And therefore... The process of creation itself doesn't justify itself. In other words, there's no justifiable reason for creation to be created because all that happens is to the energies and to the powers that are involved in creation is that they become much more minimized, constricted, and lessened in this process of creation. So what's the gain? There's no gain in diminishing things. It's like someone who's making all his value, whatever he has, less valuable. What, 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 kind, of, what, kind, of, what, kind, of, uh, what kind of project is that? So therefore we explain that creation itself 
doesn't justify itself. The only justification of the creation is the reattachment of the created beings. That means after the light and the energy is diminished, 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 so much so that it becomes frozen entities, which are like all the limit, limited beings and primarily the physical creations. They're frozen, meaning they're constricted and limited and defined with utmost defin definition. So much so that they don't, they're so trapped in their illusion of, they're so trapped in beingness, in, which is a really a prison of definition, a prison of limitation uh, that they even forget. They don't even know like a prisoner doesn't even know that there's an outside. They don't even know that there's a higher infinite pop light, that there's a free, uh, a, 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 an outside, you know, free reality. It's like people who accept the, 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 the boundaries and the constrictions and they kind of, you know, they go along with these constrictions. I'm having this whole battle now in the world between the constriction and the non-constriction, so on and so forth. So, uh, but here we're talking about this ultimate constriction that is placed on us. So the purpose over here is that from within this constricted, limited world, we should go, that's right, the subject we're learning now in the Torah, going out of Egypt. We should transcend our own beingness and surrender ourselves to the power that's creating us. And by us doing that, number one, we are, by that itself is an act of liberation. Because the beingness, as he refers to it in the Mimer, the yesh, the somethingness of our existence, has re-included itself in the in the in the free energy that's that's still and when we and we re-include itself in the divine, it sets off a continuous um, reverberating or rebounding um, uh, state where the energies are going upward. Everything is being re-included in its source. And when we say re-included in the source and returning and becoming reabsorbed, the magic of it is that it's becoming reabsorbed without dissolving the world. That means that the world and that's the magic and the power of the magic, it's the incredible godly power that God gifted us, the human being. And primarily, says God gifted the Jewish people, the power of this neshama, the power of our soul, that we have that power to fulfill God's inner desire and creation. God didn't create the world that the world should be a separate entity. The world should be. God created the world that the world should become absorbed in him. And that he and the world should get married. And we should be him and he should be us. While we are physical. While we are defined by our definitions. Yet we become totally and completely one with him. And how, does it, how do we do that? Number one is we have to shatter our fake illusionary ego. And that's the constant struggle in life. There's a constant state with the constant where there's the super ego that screams, I am. And once I say I am, now I want, now I'm hungry, now I'm tired. Now I am, now, I'm, now I need attention. Now I need a little bit of love. Now I need money. Now I need fame. Now I need recognition. Now I need to see myself, whatever, as we, as we are. We're constantly plagued by this plague of self, narcissism. And uh, everybody to their degree. Some people are, it's more obvious. Some people it's less, but we're all in that. As we spoke last week, this is the, you know, yesterday's class, this is the it's like a, a powerful gravity. That's the, that's the flow of the cosmos. The flow of the cosmos is flowing from non-beingness into beingness. And that, be, and that energy is very intense because it traps into beingness. And, to, and the greatest pleasure that God has is when we have the wisdom to free ourselves from ourselves. That's the idea, to free ourselves from ourselves, to realize it's not worth it investing so much in a silly, finite creature that I had, that, 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 that
But when we are instrumental in serving the will of our Creator, as our existence is not for ourselves, but our existence is for something other, whether we can achieve that like a tzaddik regarding our entire existence, or whether we can achieve it momentarily regarding different specks and different moments, when we can liberate ourselves from our own material entrapments and serve, use the material to serve God, that means that we're that it's not we're not defining ourselves by our existence. We are defining ourselves as an expression of the infinite being in us and through us. So then we are not no more finite. We're just, we are infinite. By the moment we lift ourselves up beyond ourselves and we're serving him and we become part of him and we dissolve in him, then our limited existence is no more defined as limited. It doesn't mean that you don't have hands and feet. It doesn't mean that you don't live and you don't weigh only like 130 pounds or 180 pounds, whatever your weight is. And you only have, you only exist within, right? You only have that measure. You're five and a half feet tall or six feet tall or whatever. Or it doesn't mean that you don't have certain personalities, characteristics which define you and make you who you are. Yeah, but who, are, who is you? And who is that? That's one of God's infinite expressions of how he, his infinity, is expressing himself through the... Through, through, so you're not finite at all because your identity is the infinite being, being, being you. And that's what it is. Isn't that amazing? Each and every one of us. It's the, it's God being us. But for that, we have to get out of us. That's the idea. To get out of the fake us, and get in touch with the true us. That's the purpose of creation. And this, in the, in the, in the Hasidic terminology, it means that the yesh that is created should return back into ayin. And that's the attachment. That's the levy. And when we can accomplish that from below, that our yesh becomes unified with the ayin, with the nothingness, we cause the same kind of a, an attachment above, that the real yesh amiti, the real being, which transcends the life force of the cosmos, because the cosmos we spoke, or, or, or if we trace it back to its origins of origins, it begins with the desire, God's desire, I know, Emloich, I want to be a king, which Kabbalistically is associated with what we call Malchus to Ein Sof. It's the first stirrings to creation. It's the Malchut element. It's the kingship element of the infinite. But the very notion that it's kingship, kingship is external. Kingship is for the outside. A king, you can't be over yourself. You need someone other. So that means it's only a ray of God. It's not the true substance of God himself in that kingship. Therefore, the entire energy of creation is all nothingness because it's only a ray of him. That's until we get God himself engaged and excited. And how do we get him engaging? When we get ourselves into it. When we, in, when we surrender our beingness to the nothing, God surrenders his, his removed transcendental self also into the nothing. He invests himself into the nothing. And then the nothing has the investment of God. It has an invested, it has the inve investment of us because we invested ourselves back into the nothing. We're both investing into the same pot, so to speak. And in that, in that ray, which was once a ray, there is now the true sub the substance of God and the imaginary substance of us with our physicality. And together we become one. And when we're imagine imaginative, we're very real. All the way to our physical bodies. We are one with the true and absolute truth of God. And the completion of that is being Mashiach. And that's the second Liviyas and Levi. These are the attachments that are happening at both ends. That's what we learned. Okay. And now we explained, and that's the meaning of Leah. Leah, we learned yesterday, is the thought. 
the if we if we Leia represents the cosmic thought to create the world, and Leia realizes her nothingness. She wants to be married to her husband. She's yearning for her husband. She's yearning for the essence of God to acknowledge her, to get Yaakov, who's in this case representing the Hashem himself, that God himself, he's from his true beingness, should pay attention to her, should connect to her. And she says, Apam, you love it, through the work of Levi, which is the work from at the very, very bottom, from the lowest work where we fight our egos and we triumph over our egos and we surrender ourselves to God every day in our daily struggles. It's at those moments when we cause that that, that that incredible delight. And yesterday we learned why is that so meaningful to God because it's unexpected, because we're fighting gravity. We're doing something that's really amusing to God. It's causing laughter, literally. Every time we act in a way that's against the grain of our own self-interest and we transcend ourselves for Hashem's interest or for another person and so on, because we're all in a state of serving something bigger than ourselves, the moment we do that, we cause this incredible, boundless, infinite laughter. And enjoyment, and that's what creates the emergence between God and the world. So, in the, in the last we were learning, and as a result of that, God stops being bili. God starts becoming ishi. We learned in, in, in Hebrew there are two words that represent a husband. One is baal, a husband, and the other one is ish, ish isha, man and woman. What's the difference between baal and and now? So. In, in a certain degree, as long as the masculine, the male is kind of dominating over the female, which has always been kind of, for many years, the, the prototype of marriage, there was always like the, the male energy was more dominant. Um, that's called baili. Baal means when the woman says, you are my master. Baal means master. The husband is like the master over the wife. That's the pre-Messianic condition. The reason it is that way is because that's the way it is in the world, that God is a master over the universe. But the very fact that he's a master over the universe implies that the universe and the creation, especially the physical creation, is detached and separated from him. And he's controlling it. He's running it. He's all, and in that sense, it reflects also in our marriages. It's a male dominance world. But the Messianic world is not going to be that way. It's going to be a feminine world. And, and on the level that he's talking about over here is at least the idea that husband and wife become completely one and no more like he's, he's bodily, he's ishi. Ish is, 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 a, is a complete attachment. His fire and her fire merge together, ish, malashim, fire. We'll soon see more about this idea of ish. So... In, in yesterday's class, he said, I mean, what we, in, the, in, the, in the part of the mimer that we learned yesterday, and this is what we left off with, this idea of the dynamics of the difference between God's relationship to the world now, that now it's in a level of Baili, my husband, my master. And when Mashiach comes, it's going to be Ishi, complete convergence, is expressed in two ideas. Two ideas, very important. And they are as follows. Number one, in today's world, we can't, not, we can't say God's name, which means we're not too intimate with him because we can't say his name. Even when we do say God's name, we camouflage his name. We use a different name. We're given permission to say a name, but we're giving kind of more of like a nickname to him, a name that's concealing the full truth of him. His deepest, innermost name is Yud-Kei, Vav-Kei, the four letters, called the Tetragrammaton. 
We are not allowed to pronounce that. You will not see a Jew pronouncing that. A Jew who is keeping the Torah and pronouncing that. We are forbidden to pronounce God's name. So when we pray and when we read the Torah and all the things, whenever we do all of that, just one second, a little blurry over here. Um, when we do all of that, we are, um, we, 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 we don't say Havaya, the Yud Kevavke. We pronounce it as if it would be Aleph Dalad Nun Yud, which Aleph Dalad Nun Yud means master, Adon, master. That means that the concept of Havaya, Havaya means, Yud Kevavke means that he is, is, and that he is the is of everything. And that means that we are nothing but him. That is not revealed. God is a little bit is detached from us. He's the creator of us, but he exists outside of us. The enormous God creating a finite creation. And we're finite. And he's our master. And that's the and that's what we can do. We can say Yudke Vavke today. And yesterday we said that's why Aleph Dalit Nun Yud, the name we do use to refer to God, which is Addo, whatever. Even that, I'm not allowed to say just like this. But when we're praying, we are allowed to say it. But Aleph Dalad that name is the numeric value of 65, the same numeric value of the word Hechal. Hechal means a chamber. That means that when God is revealing himself to us, it's through a chamber. It's like a person inside a, it's like you're looking at the palace, and you know inside the palace is the king, but you can't see the king. The king is hidden by the palace walls. So today's as well, God is manifesting as a great monarch, as a great king, as a great master over the world. But we, but that kingship, the very notion that he is a king is hiding a much deeper truth that is none but him. That's the current state. But when Mashiach comes, we are going to be permitted to refer to God as Yudke Vavke. What do I mean we are calling him? Calling, whenever you call something, it means... So now he's put it this way. In today's reality, it's not like we don't know the concept of Havaya, that God is and does not but him. But even though we know it as an abstract idea, it's not our experience. That's why we, even though we write it, if it would, if it would be a truth that's completely outside of us to the point that it just doesn't exist, so to speak, at least in, in, in as much as we're concerned, then it wouldn't. We wouldn't even write it that way. The fact that in a Chumash and in a Siddur and in a Torah, we see Yud many Siddurim. Sometimes it's written Yud Yud, but but um, you know you'll find Yud K Vav K all the time. God's name written. That means the written is the way it is. The reading is the way we perceive it. So today's days, we we even though it's written, that means we acknowledge that that's the truth, but that's not our way. We read it the way, we, we're, the way we're experiencing it. We're experiencing God still as a separate entity. And therefore, he's not called Ishi. He's not my husband. He's Baili. He's my master. However, when Mashiach comes, we will read him Yudke. It's been written Yudke Vavke, and he will be read Yudke Vavke. So the, what that means is that we will, our experience will also be that MS, that truth that God God is, because we, and how will it be that way? Because we have peeled away the outer shell of ego from the entire world. We're the ones who uncovered this truth through all the labor. That's so amazing. Through all the labor that we have done through Torah and mitzvahs. 
the Torah observance and mitzvah observance that we've done, we've polished the world to be able to receive the truth, and that the yesh, the substance of this world, becomes unified with the creative energy. And it's nothing other than the creative energy. So we can experience them also as with Kevav. So that's one difference between our world and Mashiach's world. The other difference, wait, and let me say, add one more idea so we'll understand better what he's saying, which is all part of this first idea. That's the second idea, but the first idea. And the other the point over here is that when Mashiach comes uh, now, so we say, Yudke Vavke, now, even though, even though we are relating to God today's days through the Aleph Talat Nun Yud, God being a master over us, yet we know that inside this, that this is only a garment, as he learned yesterday, Hashem Molachke is lovish, God, God is wearing as a garment, inside of it is really his truth, but it's hidden. It's hidden, blocked, there's a screen, there's a filter. So we're not seeing it the way it is. When Mashiach comes, it will be unfiltered. So he says, but in that there always has to be a vessel, a container. So now the container through which something is contained, the Yud Kevavke, transmits itself to us through the name Aleph Dalet Nun Yud. That's the container. And that kind of container, Aleph Dalet Nun Yud, is somewhat a, a concealment. When Mashiach comes, there will also be a concealment. I'm sorry, there will also be a container. But the container that will be when Mashiach is here on God's name is going to be a complete transparent container. So it's going to be a container that on the one end will contain. Because if there's no container and the and the infinite himself, God's true beingness, as he really is, reveals itself without any containers, then we all that all of existence dissolves in him. In order that we came, we remain in existence, notwithstanding his revelation, there has to be a container but not a container that blocks, a container just that allows us to receive absolute truth without disintegrating. So what will be the container when Mashiach comes? So there will be a revelation of Yudke Vavke, God's full truth, and the container will also be Yudke Vavke. Hold it. If the Yudke Vavke is the energy, how is the Yudke Vavke also the container? The answer is there are two levels of Yudke Vavke. There is a lower Yudke Vavke and there is a higher Yudke Vavke. As we learned many times that um, we find in, 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 in the Chumash, we say it every day in prayer. Most of the days when we say Tachnun, we say the 13 attributes of mercy. And over there we speak, we begin with a doubling of God's name, Hashem Hashem, which is two times Yudke Vavke. In between the Yudke Vavke, there is a line. So the Zohar says that why is there a line? You look in the city, you'll see, Yud, you'll see Hashem, a line, and Yud Kevavke. And the reason for that is because one Yud Kevavke is called, in the words of the Zohar, Havaya de Leela, it's the higher Yud Kevavke. And the second one is called Havaya de Latata, it's the lower Yud Kevavke. So when Mashiach will come, the lower Yud Kevavke, the lower tetragrammaton, is going to be the container 
that will reveal the higher Yudkevavke. And being that the lower one is also Yudkevavke, when the container is Yudkevavke, it's not a container that conceals, quite on the contrary, it con it's a container that facilitates revelation. Like in a sense, I'm just, you know, it, this cup is a container, but it also reveals because you see the inside. It's a transparent cup. You have a styrofoam cup. It, the container is blocking. So in today's world, the name, the container is Aleph Dalit Nun Yud, and the energy is Yud Kevavke. So the energy is being blocked by the container because Aleph Dalit Nun Yud acts like a hechal. Like we spoke earlier, hechal is a castle, a, a palace, a chamber. A chamber blocks the person. A chamber is not made out of windows. In the, There could be some windows in a chamber, but usually a house is made out of material with our walls, and you can't see into the house. But when the, when the container will be Yudke Vavke, it will be a house of windows. Well, the whole house is made up of window. So on the one end, it's a container, but it's not a container that blocks. Now, herein lies the other difference. Why is now the vessel Aleph Dalet Nun Yud? Why is the container, he says in the Mimer, the Aleph Dalet Nun Yud? Which is a, a container that blocks. Malchus, kingship, a baile master, not, not husband. That's because even the energy is a lower level of the energy. The energy, which is yud Vavke, is the lower yud Vavke. So today's days, the energy in the cosmos is yud Vavke. That's the energy. It's the orange soul of the infinite life. But remember yesterday we said that today, the, and this way I mentioned it earlier, all of creation is only a ray of him. The lower yud Vavke is only his ray. And that ray is camouflaged by, a, by the vessels, by the containers, which is the Aleph Dalad Nun Yud. But when Mashiach comes, God himself will vest himself into the creation. And that is the higher Yud Kevavke. The higher Yud Kevavke are letters of, of Hashem's name, which aren't really much of a name. It's like the essence. It's, 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 usually we say a name is only a ray, but this is the name of the essence of the essence as it is literally the essence. So the higher Yud Kevavke is much, much deeper. So when the higher Yud Kevavke is going to reveal itself, is going to be invested in creation, and that is the energy, then the Or Ein Sof, the light, which was earlier, which was considered before the energy, is now becomes the vessel. You see, what was once the energy is now the vessel. So the higher Yud Kevavke is now being revealed through the lower Yud Kevavke. And Yud Kevavke is not a power of symptom of constriction. And that's what it says when Yaakov Avinu says, Vahoya Hashem, don't worry. Yaakov Avinu, I'm sorry. Um, it says, Vahoya Hashem, Vahoya Yaakov Avinu says, then he speaks about the end of times. He says, What does that mean? That, that the name Yudke Vavke, Vahoya Havaya, that the name Yudke Vavke, Li, to me, that means we're going to have, we're going to have such a, we're going to have, Baruch Hashem, the 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 uh, there is going to be such a high and deep revelation of Yud Kevavke 
that even yudke, the yudke vavke that is now the energy is going to be considered the vessel. That's the meaning. Vahoya Hashem, li, to me, is going to be Elokim. Elokim is usually the vessel. Now the yudke vavke is going to play the role of Elokim, of being the container. But because it's yudke vavke, it's not Elokim. So it's not an obscuring vessel. It's a revealing vessel. And that's why we're going to experience the absolute truth that he is and there's none but him. We are not going to be canceled in, in that. We're going to be infinitely enhanced in that. We're going to exist in our physical existences expressing that truth. And that's the idea of being Ishi, my husband. So that's idea number one in, in the difference between now and Mashiach. And idea number two is that even in God's name, which is the name of Yud Kevavke, which we're going to know was the name Aleph Talad Nun Yud, and the name of Elohim, which are generally synonymous one with the other. These names are are not going to be applicable anymore. It's no more going to be Elohim. It's no more going to be Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yod. It's going to be only Avaya, as we just mentioned. And God will be able to, will be able to call him Yod Kevavke, which means our experience is going to be that he is the Ove, he is the beingness of everything, of us. Fine. But the next idea, the Yod Kevavke itself is going to change. Now it is Yod Kevavke. That means the four letters are a yud, a hey, a vav, and a hey. When Mashiach will come, the second, the third letter is going to change. It's going to become from a vav, it's going to become a yud. It's going to be two times yud k, yud k. It's going to be yud k, yud k. And that's the meaning of when it says, bayoy mahu. On that day, Yiyeh, Hashem Echad Echad, the word Yiyeh is almost like Yud Kei Vav Kei, but instead of the Vav as the third letter, it's Yud Kei Yud Kei. When Mashiach will come, there will be an upgrade in Shem Havaya that it will be called Yud Kei Yud Kei, not Yud and a He and a Vav and a He. What's the difference between Yud Kei and Vav Kei? And the idea is as follows. That represents another concept which is basically the same thing, but another facet of it. The idea of the Yud, um, the, the, the idea of having two, two, two Hays in God's name, and the way it works is, the, and, 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 and then, but, that even though there are two Hays, but the letter matching up with the Hay is once a Yud, and the other time it's a Vav. Why is that? The idea is as follows. The two Hays of God's name represent the creation. Hey, the letter Hey represents the space of the recipient. The recipient can either be the divine attributes that are receiving, or it can mean the world itself, a derivative of these attributes. But the Hey is the space of the recipient. That's why we know Hey is always associated with Malchus. Malchus is already the feminine, the receiving end. The reason there are two Hays is because there are two levels in general in creation, two general dynamics in creation. One is a very, very subtle state of existence where God's truth is felt in a very powerful way. That's a much higher, deeper level of existence. And then there is a much more external level of existence, which is more our existence as we exist 
which is hinted to in the second hay of God's name. In, in, in mystical terminology, the two worlds, so there's basically two worlds. When we dive and we say, Baruch Hashem, blessed is God, from, simply it means from ever to ever. But another meaning is from one world to the other world. What are the two worlds? There's a world of clarity, a world of absolute truth, a state of existence where everything feels and sees that all that, that everything is just divine energy. And therefore, any possible creation and being in that state is in a state of complete oneness with its with its source. In a sense, we can say that there are sublime angelic worlds that are kind of in that reality, or the souls before they come down into this world where they experience the clarity of the divine truth, they live in that dimension. And then there is the more crass, coarse, dark world of matter, material, where we find ourselves, me and you now corresponding over YouTube or Facebook, wherever you are. We're living in a world where while you're listening to the class, you can scroll Facebook or scroll your YouTube and see all kinds of other stuff that are not that godly and holy because this world does not pronounce God at all. It gives off a sense that there is a bunch of other stuff happening. That's our world, a lower world. These are the two worlds. A world that is conditioned to be and therefore, a world that is conditioned to be null of surrender to God and a, and a, and a, and a, and a, and a world of distortion, a lower world. And therefore, to the upper world, now, let's, now each world needs an energy. A world is, a, is, is, a, is an entity. Let's be saying the world is the recipient. In the world, there is the the energy. The world is therefore considered feminine. There needs to be a husband, the one who is providing. So the two letters that are before the A's, whether it's the Yud or the Vav, these two letters are representing the husband. They're masculine. And that's why, mystically, the two A's are Malchus and Bina. Bina is a feminine, is a, is a much higher connected state. Malchus is more of a separated state, a lower state. And derivative of these two spheros, Bina and Malchus, creates two types of worlds. So the higher sublime worlds, they're, they're, they're plugged into Bina. And the lower worlds are plugged into Malchus. And that's why there's much more concealment. But the reason, but because the vessels of the lower world, so coarse, we're not vessels to receive. We can't receive the light as is. So the light has to be downgraded. The divine energy has to be severely diminished before it can come into this world. Or else it would destroy this world. Either or, either it would destroy it, or the, it, would, it would in one moment blast away all the darkness and it wouldn't be dark anymore, and then it would defeat the purpose of creation. Because God wants us to uncover him. He doesn't want to uncover himself. So therefore, it has to be diminished. How is it diminished? And that's the difference between the Yud and the Vav. A Yud represents a point. So when God is delivering into the higher world, he delivers a potent point of his truth. The Kudas the point of energy. But the energy as it is, not concealing, not hiding, it is coming with its full truth, bang, into that world. And that's why 
they are in that holy state. They receive that holiness and that truth, and they live in that truth. But in order for it to come down into the lower world, what's the difference between a yud and a vav? A yud is just a point. A vav is a long line. And the line of the vav, in a sense, gets narrower, which represents the idea that something is, is becoming diluted. It's getting weaker and weaker and less and less and less. And before it can be received in Malchus, and Malchus is then the source of the creation. So Malchus is already receiving a weakened revelation of God, a far more weakened, diminished, downgraded, diminished, um, diluted, so to speak, energy, where it allows for the world to perceive themselves as beings, as we discussed earlier. But that's only in the current situation, the way things are until Mashiach comes, where the material, physical world lives in a state of disconnect. The lower worlds are not ready to receive the Yud, the God's truth as is. They can only receive a, cam a, a, a weakened, a godliness. They can only perceive God as the master over the world, but not that he is reality. They can't, they can't handle that truth. So that's why it has to be diminished. So the Yud can't can't um, unify with the latter hay. The yud can only unify with the upper hay. And with the latter hay, the yud has to first diminish itself through the vav. And it, what, what is a vav? A vav is a yud on the top. So the yud is there, but then it goes, it, there's a long leg, which means the light is being, the energy is going low, 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 low. That's today. But once we're done with our work and we fix our creation, and make every aspect of the creation be a recipient of God's full MS and full truth, then the Vav, then the second Vav becomes the Yud, and then the full unadulterated light, undiminished and unfiltered truth of God's existence can come into the world. Same idea, like we said earlier, that we don't need Havaya to translate in the name of Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud, to come hiding in some, in some garment, but the Havaya can reveal itself as it is. And that, that is expressed in the idea that in the Yud, K, Vav, K, the Vav will change and it too will become a Yud. And it will be by which means, Kabbalistic terminology, it means that the same light that is shining in Bina will also shine in Malchus. And the lower worlds, the physical world, will be just as bright as the most spiritual sublime worlds. And so Binam and the same light, or another way that he puts it over here, the same light that is shining in Chachma and in Bina. Chachma is the Yud. It experienced, Chachma is the experience of the divine truth to its, to its full truth. And that light of Chachma is being transmitted to Bina. And Bina is able to receive it. So just like it is in the worlds of Chachma and Bina, in the spheres of Bina, Chachma and Bina, so in the lower realm, which is the Zeir Anpin, the six emotions, and Malchus, the level of light and revelation will be on par with, with Yudke, with Chachma and Bina. In other words, today's days, because the entire experience of divine input into creation it's only a ray of God, going back to the point that we said earlier, it's only a ray of God's infinite light, of infinity. Since it's a ray, it is, it has, it weakens. 
or at least even if it itself wouldn't weaken, because it's a ray of the infinite, but it gets weakened through the powers of the symptom, the contractions. The contractions have a effect on the light, and therefore it keeps, the, the way creation works is that the truth keeps on getting more and less and less pronounced and more and more hidden. The truth gets weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. That's the system the way it is now. So in the upper, there's always more truth than in the lower. That's because it's only emanating from the ray. But once, it's not going to be any more a ray. But as a result of all the pleasure we gave God, God will finally reveal himself, not his ray. His very essence equally reveals itself everywhere, up and low. And it doesn't in any way get watered down from the upper to the lower. And that's why the same lights that are shining in the Yud and the Hekei of God's name will also be the Vav and the He, so the Vav and the He will also be equal, it will be Yudke, Yudke, not Yudke, Vavke. That means that our world will be just as bright as heaven. That's the idea. Okay. So now let's read all of this inside. I'm going to go back a little bit because yesterday I made a chaplap over here on the end. The Indian who and the idea is. In on the future, it says, on that day, you'll call me Ishi, my husband, you won't call me old again. You won't call me anymore, Baili. Now, again, Baili also means a husband, but it also means master. And the way I understand it, what it means is that when a husband is still the master of the wife and not one with his wife, that's uh, that's that that's not that's not the desirable state. What is the difference between Ishi, my husband, and my master Indian? Who the idea is as follows: It says that on that day it will be Hashem God is one, and His name is one. The Isa the Gemara asks the question: Is God not Echad? Now, what do you mean? And he will be one. Now he's, he's, he's not one. But this is referring to this halacha, this rule. The, 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 our world is not the same like the future world. But in this world, it is not the way that I am written. Unlike I am written, I am called. I mean, you don't call me the way I am written. You're not allowed to pronounce it the way it's written. God, his name is written with the Yud Kevavke, with the tetragram in the Nikra B'Shem Adma, but he's referred to as Master, Ado, whatever. But in the future world, Nikra, God will be read. We will call him the way he is written. What does that mean? The Achshav now, Hagiloy, the revelation, Ushem Adna. The name, the revelation now is through the name Aleph, Dalit, Nun, Yud. And that's the meaning of being. Baili, which again means husband, but also master. The Baal Lashon Adon, that Baal means master. Like we find in various different references in the Torah, where an owner of an object could be called Baal, the owner of the ox, the owner of the of the of the of the of an object which you're giving to a guardian to watch, he's called the owner. In that sense, even we refer to God as the one who owns us which means that we are his property, but we are not him. But I know, and that is because, that is because God is relating and revealing himself to the world through the name of Aleph, Talud, Nun, Yud, which creates this feeling to the creations as if we are 
Because that's the notion of Adon. Adon is kingship. And kingship means that he has to be a king over somebody, someone who's not him. So there has to be a separation. In truth, he says, inside Shem Adna, even today, there is also Yudke Vavke is there. But the name of Aleph Talad Nun Yud, as we discussed earlier, is a blocks and obscures. Why? Because the name Adna is act like a chamber, like a like a house, like a building, like a like a room. The Hechal, because as we said earlier, Adna is sixty-five. Aleph Talad Nun Yud, sixty-five. Nun and Yud is, is is sixty, and Aleph and Dalad is five, so sixty-five. Hechal is also Chaf and Lamed. Chaf is 20, Lamed is 30, is 50. Yud is another 10, is 60, five. So Hechal. Hechal gematri adna shubchinas. Hechal alavush. It's a Hechal. And what does a room do? What does a, what does a building do? What does a, what does a chamber do? It hides. A person is indoors. You can't see him. Vilavush amaylem. It's a concealment. And the reason why it could conceal. How can something conceal Havaya? Because even the Havaya, remember we said earlier, is the lower Havaya. It's not the higher Havaya. Remember, in Havai itself is two names. So the reason why Shem Adna is able to block it and conceal it is because it's not as potent Havaya. It's the external side of Havaya. Because it's only a radiance. It's only a ray of Havaya, not the essence of Havaya. And in general, it means that it's the lower Havaya, not the higher Havaya. I think it's probably missing a word here. It's supposed to be Hashem Havaya Delatata, but it doesn't say it. I will have to check in the new print if they fixed it. It's the lower Havaya. Which this is considered the lower Havaya of the already it's it's the name of God as it's really a name. It's, it's, it's really meant for the outside. Already, it's already part of the order of progressive energy downward. So that reason, the name of Aleph Dalad Nun Yud has the power to to hide it and to and to and to obscure it. Avala Asid Khulu, but Avala Asid, but in the future, Nikra then he will be called as he is written. It will be the revelation of Shemavaya as he is, but And the reason why we will be able to call him the way it is written is because nothing will block. Because it will be the and why can't anything block? Because it will be the essence of God. And why will it be the essence? Because we have attached the essence through our entertainment that we gave God by overcoming our egos and surrendering ourselves, creeping out of something into the nothing. God is also get, bringing his something into the nothing. And that's the Hashem of the Yud Kevavke, the higher Yud Kevavke, the Bishar which in its root, if the, the higher Hashem of if you trace it all the way up to its root, it's not God's name. It is his essential name. The Atmos ain't so. It's like the name of him as it is him, literally. But again, we spoke earlier that it still needs a container. It won't be without a container. It will have a container, but the container will be like a house made out of windows. The revelation will be through the lower Shemavai. Which is not a garment that conceals. And like, and how do we know that Havaya can also serve as a garment? We always thought that Havaya is energy, not garment, not vessels. He says, no. Yaakov Avinu is talking about the ultimate. When Yaakov had the dream in the ladder and he says to God, 
And when, if I come back home and I'll, you return me to my father's house and I'll be good, then Hashem will be Lila Lokin. Now you understand something that Yaakov was uh, the, 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 um, the test. Not just a test, but he was the, 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 the micro, the micro, he was the miniature, his, his life is the miniature um, life of all of Israel. And when Yaakov was leaving the land of Eretz Yisrael, it was representing the future journey of Israel into the world, to leave Israel and to make the whole world holy. And what does Yaakov say? When I will come back and I will have achieved what I will achieve, what's going to be then? Simply means that God will be my God. What's the deeper meaning? Of course, God is God. And now he's not his God. I will declare God my God. You have to prove yourself. What's the meaning? Deeper meaning. Once we finish rectifying and elevating the world, then instead of having the Elohim be the vessel to hide Havaya, to contain Havaya and hide it, because our Elohim hides, Havaya will become the vessel to a much higher Havaya. That's the meaning of Elohim. That Havaya will take on the role of Elohim in the sense that it will be the container. Shashem Havaya Elohim will be the container. Shal Yodai, which but began since it's Havaya, not Elohim, it's with it, it doesn't come it's it's it, it's a container but a trans a transparent container. It will allow for the revelation of Mamish, and it will be in complete revelation. I know. And that means that why. What that means is that. The Shema Vaya Deliela, the higher Shema Vaya is in Keter. The lower Shema Vaya is in Atsilos. Yud is Chachma, He is Bina, right? The higher Shema Vaya is in, is associated with, with Keser. What's Keser? Keser is higher than all the individual spheres. Keser, therefore, in, is, is referring to the Orin Sof. So what's the Ava Havaya there? If it's the Orin Sof, there's no Havaya. Havaya is an expression through spheros. The answer is it's the spheros as they are etched in him. As they are still one and completely one with him, with his, with his, it's almost like all the powers of the soul when they're still in the soul, they're not in any way something other than the soul. There is the manifestation of them. That's already it. As as these powers um, emerge outward to become certain powers, definitive powers, but when they're still in the soul, so that's generally the idea of atik. So. Atik, in a sense, is, is as if you're saying God's very self. So when Mashiach comes, that, the Shema Vayadal which is Atik, will be where? Bize'er And in the Ze'er which means in the external element of the Sephiroth, where the Sephiroths are already very defined, in there, there will be the revelation of Keser. Number one, it will be Avaya Echad, which I think he means. Is, it says, in that day it will be Hashem Echad, Echad. What does that mean? Hashem Echad. It means the two Havayas, the two Yud Kevavkes will be one. Will be unified. The Avaya Dele'ela and the Levi, now there is a partition between them. Avaya Dele'ela remains above. Avaya Dele'ela. The lower Avaya is in the Ze'er Anpin. Is in the six emotions. And the higher Avaya is in Keser. And the two are not together. Yeah, the whole idea is that everything will come together and things will transmit from one level to the other, next level, without any diminishment. And it will run through all in one without all these 
without all these circuit breakers that break it and diminish it and lessen it and hide it, this whole system will be gone. So therefore, the higher avaya will be completely revealed in the lower avaya. That means that in, in, in Kabbalistic terminology, the inner element of Keser will be revealed in the air Anpin. And Shmoyachod means, and that truth that is revealed in, in, in the in the air Anpin, in the six emotions, will actually even be given over into the hay. That means, what did we say earlier? The Yud, the, lo, the Vav will be on the same level as the Yud. That's, as you can explain in a moment, what that means, how that, why that's, you know, the Yud is Chachma, and Chachma is the only Sephira that, that kind of is illuminated by the lights of Keser, and primarily the inside of Keser. But further than Chachma, there's no illumination of, 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 of the inside of Keser. So Chachma is a Yud, absolute divine truth, but when it goes down lower, it becomes a Vav. A Vav is a watering down. That's the way it is now, and the Vav represents the six spheres, the Zeir Anpin, they're lower. But when we say that Atik will shine in, in, in the Zeir Anpin, it means that the same way Atik, the same way the lights of Keser are shining in Chachma, it will be also <coughs> down in the Vav in the six emotions. And therefore, the Vav will be already a Yud, will be on the same level as Chachma. And the next thing is Ushmoachad, it's going to, that true, what is Vav? Vav, which now is a Yud, is a husband to Malchus. So the husband being the enlightened husband, not the husband the way he was before, diminished, but as potent as Chachma, will now transmit to Malchus in the same way that Chachma transmits the lights of Keser to Bina. Currently, in those days, that very same revelation is going to be in Malchus. And that's the secret of thy name, the name of God being Yiyeh, Yudke, Yudke, as he says. And the revelation is going to be even in mouth. And this is the meaning of two times Yudke. The Vavke, that Vavke, is also going to be on the level of Yudke. Just like now, divine truth is fully received and shining in, in the Yudke. It is revealed the, the, the Keser today because Chachma receives from Keser and passes it on to Bina. This Gal is Bina, the revelation of Atik. And if you're, if you're getting lost a little bit in this, it's okay because the main idea of the Maimon, we can still understand this. is again, company after they have to have some knowledge in Kabbalah and mysticism to understand some of this stuff, unless I would spend six hours and opening every single little detail over here, but so that we don't have time for that. But I'm going a little faster in this idea, but general gist of it is what I'm saying is that now things are moving with a much slower energy that allows itself to be diminished as it is passing from level to level. And then it's going to be a far more potent revelation so it doesn't get diminished in all these in all these circuit breakers. It passes right through as it is. That's the idea. So now the, the truths of Keter, of Keser is only shining in Chachma and through Chachma it's being received in Bina. But lower it's not that way. The Really, the main revelation of Atik, of Kesser, is in Chachm. But through Chachm, it also comes to Bina, because Chachm is the husband of Bina, so it delivers it to Bina. stated in Siddur, in the intentions that you're supposed to have when you go to the Mikveh. It says like this, The mother, which is Bina, receives Me'atik, from Kesser. That's what he says over there. That Bina is able to receive from Kesser. Al Yidei through Yisoyed Abba. Through the Yichud. Abba is Chachma. Father. 
And through its element of Yisod, it passes on this truth that it has in itself, and it passes it into the recipient, which is Bina. Which we spoke earlier, that's the higher world. That's the higher world, fine. But the Chiddush and the novelty is that that truth is not going to remain only in heaven, but they're going to come down to earth. The very same potent and the very same revelation is also going to come down into the Zeir Anpen and into Malchus. Just like in Chachma, and when Mashiach will come, there will be the revelation of Atik. Even now, the revelation of Chachma Bin is not really from Atik. It's, 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 it's even if it's it's from the external part of Kesser. And, and that's why, which is called Erechan, but not really Atik. But when Mashiach comes, it will be a revelation of Atik in Chachma Bina. But since it's the revelation of Atik, which is the innermost of the crown, which is in a sense, this is all different terminology representing for God Himself. That revelation, um, just like it's in Chachmah Bina, in the same way, without any diminishment, it's going to come down into the Zayir Anpen and into Malchus, which basically means it's going to reveal itself down here below. Ken Yegam Bezo Malchus, so it will also be in the Zayir Anpen and the Malchus. This is hinted to in the idea that the moon will be as bright as the sun. That means Malchus is going to is going to be as bright as the, as her husband. She's going to receive the full light from him. And why is that? Because her husband, which is the Vav, now, now he's the Vav. And Malchus is the He. The sun itself will be Shiva Sayyim. Yeshiva will be seven times seven, the light of the seven days. Which means that the Zayramton will be on the level of the Yud. Will be on the level, and really it means will be all the way up receiving and, 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 and one with the with with Atik Yoman, with the with the lights of Pnimiyat Akasar, the innermost of the crown. and this is the meaning of particularly Ishi, you will call me, you'll call me husband. Meaning now there is a, as we said before, now there is a disconnect. And we experience ourselves and the world as if we possible, God forbid, to, to experience ourselves as completely no, no God at all, God forbid. That's how dark it is. But if we're tuning in, and we are tuning in, then what? We can then At least we call God our husband. Our, not our husband, our master. But then you'll call me my husband. That we won't have any more the obscuring of the heichal, of the chamber. We will see the king himself. Nothing will hide him. We will see Havai himself. The Kamoisha who as he is. It's our Indian, and this is the idea of Apam Yalava Ishiyalai. Pam means what, what, what did Leah, Leah say? She said, Now my husband will attach himself. In other words, first of all, he'll be my husband. He'll be Ishi. And my husband is is only when there is no more when, when husband and wife are totally one, then it's Ish, the two fires mixed together. Isha, he's Isha, she's Isha, and the two fires become one. No more Bailey. But when is that? Only Apam, through the work of Levi. When did she say it, Leah? Now, till now, in other words, she's saying, till now, Yaakov was Bailey. Yaakov was a metaphoric for God. He's Bailey. But now, because of Levi, he's Ishi. Why? Because what is the work of Levi? Levi represents our struggle to attach ourselves back to God, to attach to something back to the nothing, as we discussed at Great Land. And when the something attaches itself to the nothingness, then it causes that the ultimate something should attach itself to the nothingness. And then 
As a result of that, then the truth blasts through every level of creation and God is completely revealed and open all over. And there is no more creation in God. It's just is God and we are all him. What does that mean? That in Leah, and Leah, as we said before, is the initial is the represents the entire thought that is the energy of the cosmos. That's Leah. Remember, we spoke Rachel, we spoke yesterday. Rachel is speech and Leah is thought. So Leah is the primordial state of creation. But since creation is only a ray, only a thought, she's not happy. She wants more. She says, when Levi is born, ah, now I have the key. Now I know. Through him and through the work of Levi, my husband will reveal. That will be Ishi. It will be the revelation of the essence of the Ainsel. Without any concealments, without any block. And she says, Apam, you love Ishi. What does it mean, Apam now? I know. It's contingent on Levi. Through our work of attaching the world bit by bit from the bottom up. That means without the revelation from above, we work. We're working in a dark world. We're working in a world full of illusion, full of concealment, full of, full of, full of klipa that doesn't allow us to see the truth. And when we work ferociously sometimes to break out of these klipa and to, through all of our acts of surrender to God, when we attack our yesh, our something, when we include ourselves in the nothingness, through this, this causes on God's end too that he invests his essence into the world. And then we will have complete intimacy and oneness between us and Hashem. So that's explaining the Pasuk when Levi was born, when Leah says, Now we'll also understand why right before Moshe Rabbeinu is born, Moses is born, what happens? The Torah introduces the story by that a man from the house of Levi goes, he's taking the daughter of Levi. So in this verse of a man from the house of Levi taking the daughter of Levi, Basically, that verse encapsulates the entire purpose and everything. Why? Because out of this marriage, Moshe is going to be born, and Moshe is the seed who makes it all happen. He is the one who changes the cosmos around and sets, starts setting, the, setting us on track to be able to liberate the world from its current state of imprisonment. And you, Because Moshe takes us out of Egypt. Egypt is not just a, a geographical Egypt. Egypt applies to the world until the Messianic times. As long as the world is stuck in constrictions of selfhood, that is the limitation and boundaries. It's a misinterpretation of reality. And Moshe gives us the key to break out of it. How? Through the mitzvahs that we do, in which we attach to something to the nothing. That's why Moshe is a levy. And his parents, when they were going to marry, when they were getting married to bring Moshe into this world, the verse describes it as a Levite marriage. And it mentions two Levite people, the husband and the wife. The man from the house of Levi is taking the daughter of Levi. And the reason for that is, because what did we explain? There's two Levite elements, there's two attachments. There is the daughter element, which means the attachments from below. We from below attach ourselves to God. That's our struggle. And, and, and what does that cause? That causes the revelation of God, where he is also acting as a levy 
which means he is attaching himself to the creation. So the two Levim are hinted to, the masculine Ish is representing the descent of God's very self to attach itself to the ray, to the external ray, which was dominating until Mashiach comes, so that God himself gets invest, involved on one end. That's Vayelach Ish, a man, me base lady. Vayikach, and he is taking as Bas Levi, what's mean? What is he taking? What, what's, what is he interested in? Why is he Vayelach? Vayelach means he's walking. He's going. Where is he going? He's coming into the creation. Why is he coming now? He's coming to take something. He's coming to pick up, to take what we've already attached and to further, deeper attach it to him because we attached it already. We're the boss lady, we're the daughter of lady. That's the idea. And that's why he mentions ish because that's the whole idea because when the world is attached then the relationship is one of ish. No more baal. This is the idea of the attachment of Ish. And two things. Now, first of all, let's take a look a moment at the word Ish. One more idea. And that is an idea that we haven't really spoken of. It doesn't say it so much over here. Maybe hints to it soon. But the Tzemach Tzedek and the Maimer that this Maimer is based on elaborates on this point. Existence as it is before this enhancement, we spoke earlier, is only from the nothingness of God. It's from a ray. It's called nothing. To us, it's nothing because we don't we can't define it. To us, something is only concrete. But but that's only to us nothing. In, in from from the true perspective, we would say that the energy, the divine, the cosmic energy, the power of God in creation, the long chain of infinite energy that creates all worlds, we say that's something. But as we spoke yesterday, from God's perspective, it's also nothing because he created all the worlds only with a ray of him. And the enhancement that, that is created over here is that we get the essence of God, who's called Yesh, not Ayin, to get involved. Now, in the word Ish, you have the word Yesh, Yesh, Yudshin. That me, and that's why he brought earlier in the mind when we learned this, that when Mashiach comes, it says God is going to give to every tzaddik, that means to all the people who did this work of attaching the world to God, he's going to give them Lahanchil um, Oyhavi, to give to my friends, to inherit to my friends, those who love me, yesh, to give them something. That means the, 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 the reward, the ultimate reward is to experience the somethingness of God, not the nothingness. The real substance of the divine, that's yesh. Now, ish has the word yesh in it. Moreover, where is the, the revelation of God's essence initially. So remember we were talking over here earlier that this represents the bringing down the Keter and in Keter itself, the higher part of Keter, which is the inside of Keter to reveal it first in Chachma and Bina. And from Chachma and Bina, it's later transmitted also into the Zairampin and Malchus. That's the idea of Bayoma Hu Hashem two times Yudke Yudke. So Yesh, so what's, what's ish? Ish is the word yesh, yuchin, plus an aleph. So what does that mean? Aleph 
is Kesser. Because Aleph is the same letters as Pele. Pele means a wonder, which is the right, which is God's transcendental self, the Kesser light. Panemius, like it's called Pele. It's Aleph. Yesh, the Shin Yud is Chachma and Bina together. Why? The verse says, Kenei Chachma, Kenei Bina. There's a verse. Acquire Chachma and acquire Bina. Acquire Chachma and acquire Bina. The word acquire in Hebrew is Kenei. The gematria of the word Kenei, the numeric value is Kuf Nun Hei, which is 155. So if Chachma has 155 and Bina has 155, Kenei Chachma, Kenei Bina, 155 and 155. So 150 and 150 is what? 300. Five and five is another 10. 310. So Chachma and Bina, when they're unified together, are called Yesh. When are they called then? Now, why? Why? Now, now let's take that a little deeper. What's the significance of the number 310? Kesser is gematria 620. Chaf Tafresh, 620. What's 310 from six from 620? Half. Right, 310 and 310 are 620. When we say Chachma and Bina is 310, it means that Chachma and Bina receive and have half of Kesser. When you add the Aleph to the 310, that's the two halves of Kesser. You have the full 620. Now, why is it that Chachma and Bina are only half? And Kesser is the other half. The answer is because that's the idea of a husband and a wife. They're two halves on one song. So Chachma and Bina is already the beginnings of the creation. They're the beginnings of the cosmos. Kesser represents the God. When Kesser is Kesser 620 and Chachma and Bina 310. So 310 and the, and, and the, and, and the Aleph of the word Ish it's the combination of Kesser, Chachma, and Bina all together. And that's the messianic state, the state of Ish. When in the in the in the Chachma and Bina is, and the truth is Chachma and Bina are only completely unified, only when there's a revelation from Kesser. This is also hinted to the idea of Ayelach Ish, the man goes, Aleph Yudshin, Kesser is completely revealed in Chachma and Bina and connected within. So the Yesh has the Aleph as well, the Yudshin of the word Ish with the Aleph. Vayelech Ish, mi base Levi. He's going to bring now that Levi means attachment. So the Zohar says that Levi means the place where Chachma and Bina are attached. Sar, the place where the where Chachma and Bina are attached. We also understand something. I have to add one more, one more nakuda here, one more point. 
You see, we all know that Torah and mitzvahs, that Torah and mitzvahs cause Yehudim. This is a famous con concept in Kabbalah. When we do a mitzvah, every time we do a mitzvah, we should have in mind that we're going to cause an intimacy above. We're going to cause a marital union between two sefirot. To cause a union. That means the union we're causing is the, the six emotions are unifying with Malchus. Or Chachma is unifying with Bina. Now, anybody that's familiar with a little Kabbalistic um, literature knows that every, it's always explaining what is that when you say Kiddush, right? you should have in mind this union, these spirit are merging, and these are unifying, and these are the Zivugim. Now, hold, obviously, all these Zivugim and these connections have to be there anyways, because without these connections, there wouldn't be a, a creation. The divine flow flows from the orange self, from level to level, from level to level, which means one level passes energy to the next level. So these zivugim are there automatically. Chachma gives tabina. Without Chachma giving tabina, and two friends, they never separate. They can't be a world. What's the point that we are making a zivug? The zivug is there anyways. The answer is, the ordinary flow from sphere to sphere is not called an intimacy. It's more of a distant connection. Intimacy is when one level is giving to the next in a way where the recipient is receiving the full revelation. Like an int intimacy, when a husband is intimate with his wife, he's giving his true being into his wife to the point that he duplicates himself with a child. He's giving his very essence. He's not keeping anything back. That's the beauty. That's the, that's the depth of the intimacy. That's why the love of, of a husband and wife expresses itself in that oneness during an intimacy because he's giving his essence to her. So that's the whole idea. Without Torah and mitzvahs, the whole flow is without intimacy. It's all and things, and as a result of that, what did we learn earlier? The Yud is only potent up there, but then when it gets down later, it becomes a Vav. So when is the Vav a Vav, the Vav and the hay only a Vav? That's because the Yud and the hay are not totally intimate with each other. If the Yud would experience a complete intimacy with the hay, then that truth would pass on from level to level. It wouldn't get diminished. So the diminishment is because of a lack of zivugim. The zivug element, the marriage element, that's why when we're going to describe over here the bringing of Moshe into the world and the purpose of Torah, it's all hinted to in a verse of a marriage. Vayelech ish, the man is going to marry her. But he's going to marry her in a, radio, in a manner of ish. Base Levi, from the house of Levi. Levi represents Chachman Bina attached. But an attached and an intimacy, not in a way where things get diminished. And that's the whole idea. That, no, I mean, we keep, keep coming back to the same point. We need to get God's very self engaged and involved. And when that happens, the energy flow goes from the very top to the very bottom, equally uniform without a change. And then our physical earth is privy and to the same revelations of the heavens above and even greater. That's the idea. So that's what he says over here. Let's read over here. That's the idea of my man, Umi Base Levi, it says in the Zoyar, Asar, the place to Mishabra, the place where it attaches The higher Chachma, the Levi is the place where there is attachment. What attachment? Chachma is attached to the river. Which river? It says, Venar, the river goes out of Eden. So the place where Chachma and Bina are attached. What does that mean? That's the idea. Not 
just a flow from Chachma to Bina, but the unity of Chachma and Bina. And when you have that unity of Chachma and Bina, then you also have, then the energy Bina receives it in the full full light and she passes her to her child, which is the Stavav, the same potency that she receives from the Yud. And then the Vav is, not, is, is a Yud. That the Vavke will be like Yudke. So this is on God's part. He is descending. But why is he descending? He's taking as Bas Levi. It's our work in our in struggling to lift ourselves up. In order that there should be this Amshacha of the man from the house of Levi. We need to stimulate him. We need to send up feminine waters to cause this descent. That means the girl of Levi, the Levite girl. That, that's referring to our work, our Levite work. Okay, but now I have to make one more introduction. And that is as follows. So we were learning that what is the stimulator? What gets God excited and the entertainment that, that creates this whole transformation in the cosmos? What is that? That is the work of attaching the somethingness, our make-believe silly somethingness, but when we are living in it, it's very real, of our world and lifting ourselves beyond ourselves to serve something bigger than ourselves, creeping out of our klipa. In the words of the Alter Rebbe that I mentioned yesterday, and this, if you if you know this one, if you, this is the takeaway from the entire share. Okay, the entire seven, eight hours of learning. Takeaways, one thing, one line of the Alter Rebbe, was your set was yesterday. Don't ask. It's almost like the of the statement of who who said it, uh, Benjamin Franklin. Ask not what what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. It's the same idea, but in in your life, when the Alter Rebbe is saying, don't be busy with what you need. But rather, what are you needed for? That's the whole point. So that's the work of a lady. The stimulation in which we get God involved is when we are devoted to what we are needed for. Even though it doesn't mean we don't have needs, but we forget about our needs because our needs are so tiny, insignificant compared to the biggest need, which is God's need. He wants this world to be unified with him. And we work on doing that. Imagine you're in a coffee shop and you're drinking coffee and then you're thinking, um, I don't know why the, the example. It's just, it's, just, it's, just, it's just this awareness. It's just the way I'm just trying to give an example of a need being canceled. Not because you don't have a need. You do have a need. But, you know, you have coffee and uh, coffee is a little too dark for you. So you want to add a little more milk in it so it gets a little brighter. It's a need. A need. Right now it's your need. You want to enjoy your coffee. Suddenly someone collapses. And you need to call 911 and get them help. So what happened to your need right now? You need, you need your coffee. I mean, if you're a total monster and a, and, a, and, a, and a selfish animal, then you go ahead and continue looking for your own coffee, whatever, to make your comfortable coffee. This. And let the person bleed to death or die to death, God forbid, because you're busy with your own self. Even at this moment when someone can use your desperate help of applying first aid or calling the 
calling calling the, 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 the those who can give the EMT and those who can do that. But now you're busy with obviously we're not talking that. I think most decent people would stop. But hold it, what is what you need? You need it becomes insignificant right now. <laughs> I, I and if you're gonna be busy with that, what's gonna happen? Your whole coffee's gonna go to waste because the time you get back to be a cold coffee, you spent five dollars on the latte. Yeah, but it, you don't care. You walk out feeling a million dollars, even if you didn't have that silly need. Why? Because you realize that you were instrumental in saving someone's life, and that that feeling is like is like. So your need gets canceled in a much bigger need. And if we can live every second on appreciating that, we can cancel all our silly, immature, puny little needs with a much bigger question. Oh, that's what a tzaddik lives. That's the whole country we're talking about. You keep on asking yourself, what's the bigger need? There is an infinite need that places me right now over here at this moment so I can serve the infinite plan. And only me, I'm the only one at this, in this time and space right over here, I'm the only one who can fulfill in this, this particular need in existence that's infinitely bigger than me. And we serve that need. That's what we trigger and we create the involvement of God in the world. Now he's going to add and he's going to explain that in that itself, in connecting, getting out of our ego and to surrender ourselves and unify with a higher reality, there's two levels. Which until now in the mimer, he didn't make mention of it, but now he's going to mention two levels within this satisfaction that we cause by sending our ego, there's two levels. There's two grades of of what we might say purity of that tr self-transcendence. One is a complete self-transcendence to the point that we dissolve completely into, into ultimate truth. And the other one is a, is a, uh, is a semi-transcendence. It still is immeasurably valuable and we're going to see that most of the time we can't really go past that. It's hard to go into complete transcendence and it counts very much. And it definitely acts as to a certain degree, fulfilling the purpose of creation, but the full attachment of something to nothing, which means that the something is completely integrated in nothing really is only in grade a, not so much in grade B grade B of transcendence. In, in, in what that means is it's called Bittl Hayash and Bittl Bimetzius. In other words, Bittl Bimetzius means you become utterly nullified from your existence. And I don't mean that you dissolve, that you're not there anymore, because that's not the purpose. It means that you have so identified with the truth of God that literally you have no ego left. Whether for, whether for a minute, five minutes, or a lifetime, there are people who live that way. That's a tzaddik, a rebbe, is in a state of bittel b'metzies. doesn't have an existence at all. There's no I at all. It's melted it completely into God's existence. So... Oh God, I'm going to have to remember, okay. So something, something very geschmack and a different safer, which illustrates this, but okay. So there is a complete state of that, uh, that transcendence. And then there is a state where 
I, re- I mainly recognize the silliness of my own puny little self and being obsessed with me. And I realize how, how, how limited that is and how, how uh, unimportant that is. Because I recognize that there is a higher power and there is a higher purpose to creation and to existence. And if I find myself over here right now, it's not just about me eating potato chips. It's about me doing something big, grand. And I'm willing to submit myself to it. But I feel very much while I'm doing it that I am, I feel, I feel very much the clash between my need and its need because I still feel myself. In other words, I, 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 there's, there's a certain, each, there's a constant um, need to, there's a constant um, um, battle or there's a constant uh, evaluation that I have to make in my mind of what I am in my own distorted sense of reality. And I have to realize that God is so much, that God's truth is truer than this, that this is all just a falsehood. And I have to surrender, which means, and it hurts because I still feel myself and I still feel my wants. So a higher level is where one has such a clear vision of God's truth that they completely don't have anymore the distorted vision of smallness and 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 disconnect. So in a sense, it's almost like they naturally already do what God wants. In other words, they transcended that gravity. And there are those that are still in the gravitational pull. And in a sense, that, that's more pleasurable because every moment you're fighting against it and you're overcoming it, it takes enormous power. But even when you are in a state of acknowledgement of God, you, one hasn't let go of themselves yet. And therefore, that, that um, relinquishment, that giving, going out of self and relinquishing yourself, you're rel- relinquishing your ego, is not to the fullest because there's still some self in it. And that's why, so you're not fully inter, you're not com- fully assimilating yourself. So the something is not completely melting into the nothing. There are still pieces of something there. It's good, but it's not the, it's not the old. He's going to explain now the daughter of Levi. Now, we're going to assume that we're going to see all that. In general, we can speak that there are certain people who achieve the higher level. And then there are certain people who can only at best or mostly struggle to achieve the lower level. But it's still a level. It's still holiness. And both of them are valid. But it's two different people. Or we can see that in ourselves as well, there are moments of clarity. Like Yom Kippur, we can have those moments. Or whatever, during a period of time where we reach a certain clarity, which we can see things so clearly. And there are moments that we fall from that place. And even if we're trying to be the best Jew we can and the best servant of God we can, we're still in the blur, we're still in the fog. So there is higher moments alone. Or within ourselves, there are two, the inner, our soul itself, our neshama, we understand that's not in the body, is in a state of total unification with God. Our body is in a state of disconnect. And when our soul comes into our body, 
So the soul, because you ask, so I have a clash. The body feels very much, when I say body, I don't mean only body. I mean also our, our physical, earthy consciousness is a being of darkness. Our soul is a being of pure light. And when our soul is in heaven, our soul is melted in God, in, in absolute truth. When our soul comes in the body, now there's a struggle. So in order to kind of, at best, how far can our soul achieve surrender to God, that it can lead the body to the state of, to the lower level of bit. So what does that mean? That means, and what, 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 what that would, so that will explain why there are moments even by ordinary people where they have this absolute clarity and they, and, and they don't have any pain in the surrender because to them at that moment, God is so true and so real and they're so identified with it. That, because even when our soul is in our body, there are moments when because of the uniqueness of the time, because as we said, it's Yom Kippur, it's very holy time and the, there, there's just in a certain environment, you're around certain, you're next to a tzaddik who lifts you up to a, a different place. You're, you're in the middle of learning a class that the teachings are so clear, it becomes so clear that you literally feel it and you see it. The reason why you're able to come to the state of Pitul B'mitzi is complete, complete identification with the infinite truth without any bit of ego left is because those are moments when you're experiencing your, 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 your truth of your soul without the hindrance of your body. In other words, your soul is not now, your consciousness is now the consciousness of your soul. You're, you've elevated yourself very deeply into an inner core level of inner, inner wisdom, inner knowledge, in which you're seeing light, you're seeing the truth. Most of the times, we are, you're not operating. We are not operating from such an inner place. We're operating more on the place where the soul is, is, is enclosed in the body, and therefore it's a little murky. Even when we are marching in the right direction, even when we're doing the right things, it's still a murky truth. It's not such a clear truth. So in the words of the Alter Rebbe, in the words of the Rebbe Rashab over here, he's going to explain that that's called the, these two levels within each and every one of us is called the external heart and the internal heart. Both of them are holy hearts. Chitzoni Yisalev, the external heart, is when our love to God and our fervor and our excitement is in a way, but it's the external, it's mixed with ego. So there is over there tension and struggle and fight between self and non-self. It's the external heart. And most of our life, we are in that, in that space. Yom Kippur, we can enter into the inner heart. That's our inner sanctuary. That's the deepest point. We have a, we have a moment. Again, I'm using Yom Kippur because most likely it'll happen Yom Kippur. It can happen on Rosh Hashanah. It can happen on Shabbat. It can happen, uh, again, as we said, when you're by the Rebbe, by your Fabrengen, and you're looking in the Rebbe's eyes, you can be in that place too because because of the holiness. It lifts you up to the inner core of your soul, to the inner core of your heart, to that deepest inner place where Enoid Movade does not but But then you'll find yourself that a week later or a day later or five minutes, whatever, you're back in the struggle. The inner heart and the outer heart, two hearts. It corresponds to the temple where there were two altars, the outer altar and the inner altar. And what was the difference between the two Mizbeachs? In the outer altar, they offered sacrifices. 
And in the inner altar, they offered only incense, spices. What's the difference? In the outer altar, you have the animal. You offer it, and there's a struggle, there's a fire. You see the animals being burnt, which means our animalistic consciousness is struggling metaphorically, that means. There's still animal, there's still self-identity, and so on and so forth. There's still this darkness, and we're struggling to burn ourselves up in God's truth. Bitulayash, where there's still there's still some some self. The inner altar represents the deeper core of the neshama, where it's pure, unhindered by the outside noise. It sees truth as truth is. It has a whole different perspective. It sees the whole world swallowed up in God. God is the only reality, and therefore there's no tension and there's no there's no there's no struggle. And that's why there was no noise in the inner altar. It was quiet, silence. So for most people, now, we got, now we're coming to the point. For most people, these two stages are, they both exist in us. We have potential for both, but they exist, each one is separately. Because the experiences of your inner heart are not the same experiences of your outer heart. The idea of Bas Levi, which means the uniqueness of this girl of the Levite family, is the concept to be able to take the two hearts, the inner heart, the outer heart, and the inner heart, and make them like one heart. We daven for Hashem for that. We say, unify our hearts. And the Hasidus explains, it means, what does it mean, unify our hearts? Simply it means our hearts. We're praying all of us together in synagogue. Yanko's heart and Moshe's heart and Esther's heart and, and Hannah's heart. Shifra's heart. And all hearts together, we should all serve you. But there's a deeper meaning. Our hearts, plural. Unify the heart. That the truths that I know, the purity of that you are and there's none but you. And the conspicuous truth that I know in the deepest core of my being. Let that also be the reality of my outer heart. The two hearts should come together. And then... All the acts of surrender to God that happen in, in, our, in our daily day is not semi-connected. It's completely connected. When the two hearts are separate, so even when you're doing holy things and you're, get, and you're attaching the world, you're not attaching it completely. You're pulling it out of darkness, but you're not completely assimilating it into holiness yet. You're not completely enveloping it into joy because you're not feeling it. But when the two hearts are unified, then the truths of the inner heart are felt in the outer heart. That's the complete connection. So now let's go back. In order to connect the ultimate something to this world, to the nothing, it requires a similar action that we take something and we unify it with nothing. So, Ordinary service when the two hearts are separated, then yeah, from every person you're going to get one small little container from an entire life. Life, you might get one small container of ketores of pure, pure, complete surrender to God. Of moments in life when the person was just totally one with the infinite. It's a very small little vial. It's a very small little jug of this ketore. Most of their actions of goodness has a little ego in it, has a little self in it. It's got the beauty of the struggle, but it's still got a little bit of, it's not, it hasn't, in those moments, you haven't appreciated God's truth to the fullest. 
So how much something did we connect to nothing? So grade B connection, a lot. But full connection, only very little. The daughter of Levi, and we're going to see the entire tribe of the Levites, they were unique in their service. That they were able to take their inner heart and connect it to their outer heart, that the outer heart experience should be the same way like that. It's similar that we learned earlier that the Yudke and the Vavke, the same light that's shining in the Yudke, and the higher self should also shine in the Vavke, same idea, but now in the human. The, the, the inner heart should extend itself out in the outer heart. That all their all imagine someone who's able to reach this state that every single thing that they do, even on the most external layers of their consciousness, is pure with the purity that there is none but him. And therefore it's only so that's a, a walking conduit. There's no self over there blocking. And that's Levite, Levi the attach, as he's going to explain over here. So what we get over here is what makes what, what threw me off a little bit when I was learning is that the whole mimer is teaching you how bitl hayesh that the purpose is that the yesh should be bottled, the something should be bottled to the nothing, and suddenly in the end he starts talking about that bitl hayesh in a way that the yesh and the that the that the two hearts are unified. So it seems like again my understanding is that for sure the, the regular service of surrendering yourself to God, overcoming your ego, that's part of the entertainment that we spoke earlier. That's part of what makes our work so precious. But yet, in that itself, there is levels and a unique element of Levi, which is at the core of this, of this, of this bonding between God and the world, are, are those people who have that unique quality to be able to bring the truths of their inner, inner, inner being to be experienced also on the more outer layers of everyday Judaism and everyday connection, connecting their two hearts. And that's the idea of Bas Levi. What does it have to do with Bas Levi? So he's going to explain. Let me add one more thing. Bas, daughter, represents the, the grade B. It's called the Bas. God says, refers to us sometimes, there's a Medrash that says God loved us and he called us his daughter. And he, God loves us so much, he called us his mother. I'm not going to get into that one, or God's mother. But it's explained in the Hasidus, that when we experience the higher level of absolute transcendence and unity with him, then we're called, we're in the level of mother. And when we are still in a level of struggling, then we're called daughter. That's the, that's the level of Bas. The daughter of Levi means that even the letter of the level of daughter, which is Bas, the external heart, is elevated and Levi is attached. Okay. Los Angeles, if you can hear on the on the uh, 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 on the recording, is getting rain. God is showering us with blessings. It's crazy. Raining and raining and raining intensely over here. We're ready the whole week. So that's always a blessing. So now let's learn inside. Okay. For behold, the sages have said, God loves the Jewish people so much he didn't 
he didn't uh, move away before he has shown us love. He called, he called the Jewish people his daughter. And then it says, and then he called us his sister, and then finally he called us his mother. What are these two levels of daughter and mother? Israel is also referred to as bride. Man, the, 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 the bride of God. Kala. And in Shira Shirim, it mentions two times Kala. Forgot already which Pasuk. It mentions Iti Malavan and Kala, Iti, I forgot already. There's where it mentions two two times the word Kala, which indicate the Zohar talks about this. That there's two kalas. There's the lower kala, just like we spoke earlier, there's in God's name, Havaya. There's the higher Havaya and the lower Havaya. Those are the two levels of, of chasen, two, 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 two grooms. We, on our end, is two kalas. The lower kala and the higher kala. The higher kala represents, kala means bride. What's the, what's the woman? What's the bride? The bride melts into her husband. Why do we find that women, when they get married, they give up on their last name? Some women want to hold on to their last name. But generally, the custom is that a woman, when she gets married, she, she assumes her husband's name. So the idea of the marriage is that she's melting herself into him. The recipient is melting into the mashpia. That's the idea. They become one. Kala comes from the word longing and kala also comes from the word kala to dissolve that something dissolves the souls of israel and the jewish people are meant to be different than all all everything else in creation everybody else and every entity in creation as we spoke before pulls into its own existence jewish people are meant to create a total opposite energy in the world beginning with themselves, not pulling into its own existence, but dissolving into God's existence. They got dissolving. That's why all Jews, by the way, to look at the world, even if they're not religious, even if they don't have anything with religion, they're always busy with something universal. It's a Jewish trait. That, yeah, the Jews are always want to save the planet. They want to save the elephants. They want to save the this. They want to save the A Jew can't live just stuck in himself. And if he does, he's miserable more than anybody else. He or she. That's just the way it is. The Jewish soul is meant not to be in beingness. It's meant to be in non-beingness. Why? Because our identity is kala. Kala is malash and kiloyon. However, there's two levels of that dissolving. The higher dissolving and the lower dissolving. The higher dissolving is, as he explains in a second, where the divine truth, it becomes so clear. The ultimate truth that he is and there's none but him is so clear that there is no ego anymore. Not only, see, it's not I, I, I'm canceling my wants. I have wants, but I realize that your want, like we spoke about by the coffee earlier. Okay? I want now a little more milk in my coffee. But right now, you know, the need of someone needing, you know, medical attention, emergency, it's such a bigger need that it cancels my need. But it doesn't mean that I don't have any more need for coffee. I have it. I but I've now, this became so much more important. There's a different reality. But that means that I'm canceling 
And it might even be a struggle. I might be recognizing at that moment that I'm now not going to have a hot coffee anymore. I spent $6, six, whatever it was, $5 on this coffee. And right now I'm putting it down because I'm running over there. But I realize how ridiculous it would be for me to sit over here and drink my latte when someone else is dying. So I better go up there quickly and do it. So I'm relinquishing, but that means I have a want. And in our service to God is that we evaluate our want for his want and we realize that his want is bigger than our want and his reality is truer than ours and we, and we surrender ourselves to his will. But then we haven't surrendered completely. We've surrendered our want, but not our very being. But then there's a deeper truth, as we spoke earlier. When it becomes so clear that he is and there's none but him that we don't even know we exist anymore. It's just him. There's no other one. There's no, it's not I'm, I'm bending my will for his will. There's no, there's nobody there left. There's no one home anymore to have a will because I've become completely swallowed in his existence. That's the higher bride. And that's what he explains over here. Biti, the imi, daughter and mother. And the the higher, the upper kala, the kala tatan, the lower kala. Shambay's mesiras nefesh. These are two levels of mesiras nefesh. The concept of a Jew is mesiras nefesh. Mesiras nefesh means to give yourself up for God. There's two levels of this sacrifice. In the, in, in the Shema is when we proclaim our Jewishness. That's our Jewish declaration. And in the Shema itself, we speak about Mesiras Nefesh, which means, in a sense, martyrdom in two places. One is when we say Hashem Echod, God is one, we're supposed to have in mind Mesiras Nefesh, that we're willing even to die for God. And the other one is when he says, you shall love God with all your heart and all your soul. Call Nafshecha with all your soul. And over there, it's the sages say, even if someone wants to, God forbid, rob you from your life, if you don't want to disconnect from God, a person has to be willing to relinquish their life and remain connected to God. So the question is, what's the difference between two times, why do we have to do the same thing twice? And the answer is, these are two levels. Hashem Echad means God is one. And over there, of course, I surrender and I, I, I sacrifice because there's no, I'm not even sacrificing anybody. There's nothing but Him. And that's why it's not cool. That's to give yourself over in the Echad. It means meditate on the Echad. The Echad means the oneness of God to the point that you don't exist anymore. It's only Him. Then the other one is well, love God with all your heart. Even if it was someone wants to come take your soul. In other words, you're screaming and crying. It's my soul. Don't take away my soul. And yet you realize that God is more important. So you're transcending your own for God. You're feeling like someone is robbing you of something. He's taking away your life. I'm going to die now. And that's difficult. And therefore, that, that level is much lower level. What's the difference between the two? The limbs is It's through the contemplation. To reach the ultimate state of unification with God is how the world's one, when one appreciates this this truth, and when you say appreciate, I mean to the point that this becomes so crystal clear in the person's mind, till it reaches, till it becomes their truth, even in their heart. And you realize that the world, even after they came into existence, they are completely nullified and unified with Hashem, utterly like before they were ever created. 
That means that creation didn't anyway bring anything into existence. The worlds are still subsumed and, 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 and included in God. And it's, a, it's exactly the same as they were unified before. You see, when we were imagining this, we, we want to say a little bit. Is there a little bit of self? No, no, no. In truth, God, nothing happened. It's only him. There was no, because creation is just him. Nothing ever went out of him. So all there is is only him. Fine. And when one realizes this to the fullest, then, they're, they're, then what happens because we realize that from God's perspective, nothing conceals and nothing blocks. And the infinite is present down here as he is up there. And in the infinite's presence, it's, there can't be anything but him. And that's why the worlds are nullified. And perfectly unified. As explained in other places at great length. When one meditates this, that my entire body and my heart ends. I have no existence anymore. In the words of the Zohar, the physical material self has become completely nullified. There is no I at all. All will. There's not even possible for any other desire. And one is completely unified with Hashem. It's called utterly, utterly surrendered. It's not even surrender. Utterly dissolved. That's the higher column. We call it higher because it's a higher level. The the lower column, that's the lower bit. What does that mean? I, I very much do still feel the world and myself. I'm in space. But I know that's while your day, and that reality is not is is not coming from Hashem Echad, because if you truly experience, if you really unlocked Hashem Echad, then you wouldn't feel yourself. How then do we feel that? It's because you're contemplating another contemplation. Baruch Shem after the Shema, before we say Vahafta, in between Vahafta and Shema, which means in between these two levels of sacrifice, there's a verse: "Blessed is His name of His glorious kingdom forever." That verse is the philosophy that calls us to surrender, but not absolute surrender. An absolute desire. Because what does it say? Blessed is the name of his glorious kingdom. Oh, we're referring to God already as a king. And if we refer to God as a king, it must be that there's somebody to be a king over. So there must be some other entities. So suddenly, that calls the creation into existence, not like it was before God created the world that there was nothing but him, because there's nothing but him, was he king of? No. From the ultimate truth, he's really not a king, because his kingship, meaning from, from his, he's above kingship. The world is him, and he is the world. And a person who's on the other side of Shema, is a person who's not, his, his consciousness is not being fed from, by Baruch Shem, but it's a person whose consciousness is being fed from Shema Yisrael, Hashem Hakein, Hashem Achad. There's no kingship and there's no surrender. There's no struggle. There's only one. There's only oneness. There's only God. Person whose consciousness is spiritual consciousness and awareness is Baruch Shem Kavod Machus That leaves room for creation, and that makes me exist as a creation of God. And now I struggle because I have an ego and I want to do my thing. But He's my King, so I surrender to my King. 
And that's why my after and how surrender am I? I'm really willing to give my life up. But still, there is a me giving my life and so on and so forth. Now, if you take away Barashem, then you couldn't have Ahavta. That's why the Holy Ruziner, when he was a little boy, met the Alter Rebbe, Zalman of Liadik. And he was a little boy of three, four years. I don't know how old he was, five years old, whatever. And he said to the Alter Rebbe, he asked him a question. How can you say Ahavta after you said Echad? The little boy, imagine a soul like that. The little boy is asking the question, how can you say you should love? He wasn't even, he wasn't even asking on the Bechol Nafshach, he was asking on the Vahaf, how can you love? Who is the you that's loving? You said, Echad, there's none but him. It's, all. So it's just him. Who's loving? And the answer, the Alter Rebbe, is because you interrupt with Baruch Shem. Because you answered Baruch Shem, then you drop into a level where you are you and you can love God. And the word, the Gemara says that there were a group of people who omitted the Baruch Shem, they never said that sentence. Because really in the Torah, it doesn't say that sentence. The Torah says, Shema Yisrael Shem HaKadosh Shem HaKad V'ahavta. The sentence, Baruch Shem Kavayit Machus is a sentence that the sages inserted and said we should say it. And we take it because Yaakov's children said Baruch Shem. When Yaakov told them Shema no, whatever. Yaakov answered Baruch Shem, whatever. I'm not going to get into it right now, but the Baruch Shem was added. The, so the Gemara says the people of Jericho, the Jews of Jericho, they didn't say Baruch Shem. They went Shema Yisrael laughed. And the reason was because they were on a much higher level. They brought the Shema, the, the unity, the oneness of God, the higher level, they brought it even into the lowest places in them. The reason why we, we, we address both is because I said earlier, there is a place inside of us, a deeper inner core, our inner soul that gets nurtured by the higher unity. And can tolerate the higher unity. But that's only our inner being. And every day we have to feed that. Whether we're conscious of it or not, we have to feed that, that, that part of our soul with the truth of Shema Yisrael. We can ask a question. If we're anyways not going to achieve such clarity on oneness and melt and dissolve, why should we say Shema Yisrael? Are we playing games over here? So we should only start our declaration of holiness with Baruch Shem Kavod Malchus. Why say Shema Yisrael if you're not even there? You're thinking about, you know, if you're davening and you're thinking about breakfast, what you're having for breakfast, you're obviously not in a state of echad. So if that's the case, why are you even saying it? The answer is you're still supposed to say it. Why? Because we know that deep inside in your heart, your heart, there's a place in you that could, that, that, that this truth is registering. But for our regular consciousness, for our regular self, we have to say Baruch Shem Kavod Machusa and deal with the, with the state of thickness that we're living in, the density that we're living in, the murkiness that we're living in, and that we don't see truth as it is. And therefore, we do feel ourselves. Now that we feel ourselves, we might, God forbid, devote our lives just for our own pursuits. So we remind, we say, no, 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 I should love God, meaning I'm going to bend and yield for God's will. I'm going to do Bittal Ayesh. I can't do Bittal B'Metzi and do Bittal Ayesh. So we have to operate and we nurture both, both parts, our outer self and inner self with these two sentences. But the people of Jericho, they were ready to bring the higher truth even down into their regular day every day. They were, will, they were ready to live their entire day while they're in the marketplace and while they're outside in the, in the, in the experience that there is none but him. That's called Bas Levi, the daughter of Levi. That even on the outer level of Bas, they introduced a higher, deeper truth. The Anche Yericho and the people of Yericho. Hold on over here. Kalatato, who bit the Yesh Levat. 
and the lower and the lower column is the, is is a lower level of bit. Why they baruch shem kavod machusel adamad? It's through saying baruch shem. The mitzada ara elikis because if from the from the godly ray shayesh tefes malkim actually a bit layesh from the orient soul, the infinite himself. There's the worlds are totally one with it. But from the ray of God that becomes a source for the creation, like we spoke earlier in the discourse, there's much more acknowledgement to the creation. And over there, how do we deal with, or over there, the avoda is to surrender ourselves. But the people of they wrapped their Shema. They didn't say that verse. And therefore, they were on a much higher level. And they were able to stand all day long on the higher level of Bittl B'mitzis. But through the Hefzik, through the Baruch Shemkavayim, that's what puts us in a far more external place. This idea is similar to the idea of Havdalah. After Shabbos, we, if, if we're ever in a state of the higher unity, it's Shabbos. Shabbos, we can have that clarity. Matzah Shabbos, we say Havdalah. Why do we say Havdalah? Havdalah is like saying Baruch Shemkavayim. You're placing a partition. You're stepping out of that inner higher consciousness and you're stepping into a lower awareness. Now, when a person is essentially just on a level where they feel themselves very much and they're surrendering their ego, but they still have an ego, then it's called, then we're called a daughter. That's the lower kalo, which is also called daughter. What's the idea of Bas Levi? Is to be like the people of Yerichos. That the two levels are attached. So where do we see that that's the power of Levi? Before behold, it says, There's a Pasuk that says that the Levi should serve. It's a very strange Pasuk. It's a Pasuk that says, and I think it's Parshas Ba'aloyz, Parshas Nasi, I think it is. That the Levi should serve. Who simply it means that the Levi should serve, who should serve, he should serve, which is a, a quite a difficult, um, which is quite a difficult uh, passage to understand. What does that mean? Shanashak Matiud, and I didn't see you. It's live, but it's okay. Nice to see you. Yeah, that's all. The other Levi who. No problem. Who? Let's see. It says there's a pasuk that says that the now he's going to prove now that the Levi, the Levite, is the one who takes the higher truth and reveals it in a lower world. That even in the lower world, the place where usually the high, the, the best we can achieve is semi-attachment, the, the levy is able to bring down into that world to equalize it. The lower world and the higher world are equal. The outer heart and the inner heart unify. And that's derived from this Pasuk. The, the levy should serve who? What does that mean? Who means him? Now, there's two ways to refer to God. One of them is him. And the other way is to say, Atta you.
let's approach it from a different angle. When we say him, who, it means it's referring to something that is not here. Because when someone is in front of us, we say you. If we're addressing. But if the person is not here, we say him. I mean, it's hidden. The concealed world, which means the place. Now, remember we said earlier, there's different dimensions. Just like in the person, we said there's the inner heart and the higher heart. So too, remember I spoke earlier in the share, same idea, that in the worlds, there is a higher world where everything is unified with God. That's the yud K, the higher world. And then there's the Vav-K, which is the lower world. This corresponds to these two levels, the lower world and the higher world. Just like in the greater cosmos, it's also in the world of angels and souls that are melted in God's truth and the worlds where we're more separated. Who represents to the hidden worlds? Because that's why it's hidden. That's what's called who. The work of the Levites is to bring that, the, the same consciousness that is in the hidden world, to bring it down in the revealed world. There shouldn't be a difference between our revealed world. That's why the Levites were very high spiritual people. And they achieved it through singing. Obviously, they were very high souls. And what we find that even within ourselves, that when do we have moments of clarity, the best, the strongest? Hasidim have a custom. They learn Hasidus. Then you live life. And you do a lot of Hasidus. You try to serve God. Then you come together with friends and you have a fabrengen. But if I bring and you have some food there, you talk. Main thing is someone is inspiring. Basically, everybody takes the chasidus that they learned and you get together and you want to like really live it. You say you take a little whiskey, a little uh, spirits, whatever it is. It helps you like open yourself up a little bit. And it's a very uh, deep moment. But one of the most powerful things about a fabring is, is a speaker, you talk, you say, your inspiration, people just share, people are open with each other, whatever it is, and you sing a nigan. The song, the nigan, the tune, is really what opens, and this is a Hasidic cosmos, since from the days of Hasidism, the most powerful parts of Hasidic life is the nigan, the singing. Because the song, what, what, as far as the words and philosophies and teachings can take you, there's still words. The song, if it's a holy song, can lift the person up into the holiness and into the godly rage. The Levites were the singers. And when Levium sang, they opened people up to this higher consciousness. That means even people that are generally material people, very earth people, people that are not tuned into such a high level of consciousness and awareness, through the nigan you can take them there. And that's the meaning of Avadalevihu. The Levi has that ability to bring down the concealed world into the revealed world. And that's what he explains over here. the concealed world. He's not talking about the song, but I just related that. But Shashama The who is where is the state where there is absolute oneness with God. As it says, Atahu Hashem that God is alone. Who levado means he alone means that all before him is not. There's nothing but him. The state of absolute oneness. And what is the service of the Levite? That everything should be who. Even the revealed world. 
Usually, if you go out to the outside world, it's almost like something like this. You're your you're, you're, you're Shul Yom Kippur. And, you know, you and Yom Kippur, we expect everybody to be very quiet. Everybody's so solemn. and Everybody's so into the prayer. And if Yom Kippur, someone is sitting, talking loud in Shul in the middle of prayer and talking about the football game, we all get very upset because it completely doesn't belong over here. Because it's Yom Kippur. Oh, what kind of crassness is this doesn't belong because everybody's in this higher state. But when you leave Yom Kippur, you leave the shul and the sanctuary and you go out. So even if, you know, you're creating a nice Jewish party and Jews are coming and it's not Yom Kippur. So you tolerate far more other stuff. People can talk this and they can talk that. You're happy that they're coming to a Jewish event. And they're learning. And they're, you know, they're learning something. They're, but you... We let our expectations down because it's not Yom Kippur. It's not. So that means when we go out to the out, outer world, the shul is the inner world. The shul on Yom Kippur is the inner, inner, inner world, right? So, but when you go out to the outside world, you, you make peace with the idea that on this outside reality, you can't expect the people to be as spiritually sensitive like Yom Kippur. So on the outside world, there is a whole, there is a lesser, um, expectations of holiness. Even the rabbi recognizes that there is lesser expectations, not the Levites. The idea of the Levi is that he expects he's able, he has that energy to bring the same truth that were taking place in the inner core on Yom Kippur also to the most to the office building. If people are davening mincha in the middle of the oh, they should have the same holiness and same sanctity and same experience like the inner world. That's the idea of Levi. Levi means to attach. Even in the revealed world, should be in the same way like the inner world. Stated in, in, in the Mimer Oz Yash. That even the Yesh, even in the outer crust of somethingness, there should be complete bittle. Wow. And obviously, that's the ultimate pleasure of God. That even what is so corrupt, cor a crass and coarse, even that should reach a total melting into God. Remember I said this earlier, that we ask God, unify our hearts. Our inner heart and our, our outer heart should become unified. The inner heart and the external heart. The inner heart, that's, that's where you experience your soul itself. The soul, where the soul is still, the soul is completely pure. The soul has not yet become soiled by the body. In that space of the inner core of the soul is complete surrender to God, real truth surrender. But then there's the external part of the heart. Is the part of the soul that's more enclosed in the body. And then even if you're loving God, it's a love based on reason, not essential love, not the inner core love of the soul, but more of one that comes to understanding and and therefore it's a much more calm or a far more, let's say, um, mellow love. And it, 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 it's, it, it, it's, it's not so overpowering and so all exclusive, so to speak.
and the unification of the two hearts, that even in the external heart, should carry over the complete total nullification. And that's the idea of Bas Levi, that even the letter the level of Bas, the regular, the space where you usually will get the highest, the best you'll get is only daughter, not mother. You'll get the lower kala, not the higher kala. Yet even there it should be Levi, it should be completely attached. Um, this is what the Levian did. Even the revealed world, which is called that even the place that's called which where the worlds are more revealed, they should be nullified. should unify with that he is alone. And when we can achieve, uh, achieve something so spectacular that from the most coarsest of stages, which is the real yesh, which is the external part of the world, the external part of the heart, the outside, the level of daughter, bas, uh, we can bring over there and not just to make it surrender, but to make it totally nullified and one with Hashem, dissolve it completely. That is such a transformation. From yesh, from real yesh to ayin, to complete nothingness, that's what causes vayelech ish mi beis levi, that the ultimate ish reveals itself. Uh, and this is what causes ish mi beis levi, that Hashem, the ish, that Hashem descends from his yesh, from his true being, that he becomes attached to me. And all of this is an introduction. Now is the last run of the Mimer, next few more minutes. All of this is connected to the birth of Moshe. Because Moshe was at this level. Meaning, to us, all this is work. And even to tzaddikim, it's work. As a result of our heart and labor, we achieve and we accomplish and we start surrendering our somethingness into the nothingness. Everybody to their level that they're able to do this. More, some people more, some people less, and so on. And really, Levites, they're able to take even the most external, even their bodies, even their more tangible self, and bring the, the awareness of God, the deeper truth of God, so strong over it that it's totally one with God. That's awesome. But it's through their work. And when Mashiach comes, as, a, as, a, as, as the fruits of the labor, we will all be in this Liviasan state, that even the most external elements of existence will be reflecting and revealing how there's nothing but God and that it is just Hashem, even in the physical. That's going to be when Mashiach comes, it's going to be natural. Now it's still not natural. Now it takes a lot of work. When Mashiach comes, it's going to be the name. That's going to be reality. That's going to be the nature. Moshe Rabbeinu is the first human being who was born in Mashiach's days. Three th he predated Mashiach. He's three and a half thousand years before Mashiach. He was already Mashiach. Because his body was already in a, naturally in a state of absolute unity with God. His, his physical body was conditioned to be one with God. He had no... Everybody else in the rest of the world, it would take three and a half thousand years of bending and yielding and working the hide and turning it and surrendering it and breaking it and breaking it again and exercises of, of, of surrender, of submission, of relinquishment exercises and exercise until you can purify and get to that stage. Moshe was born already on top of the mountain. His body was totally one. And that's the why was he born that way? 
Because in order to bring us the Torah and to give us the... So we needed to be able to look at a human being. Was, when we needed to know what we have to make of ourselves and of the world, it was basically looking at Moshe that we should make everybody be Moshe. Menamayim, he was drawn out of the water. He's, he's, he's totally unified with them. Like a fish that's unified in the water, but he's walking on dry land. He's the purest level of soul, of the highest level of attachment, but fully expressed in the body and in a way that the body is completely on par with the soul. The body is not in any way a block. That's why motion, he's going to prove that over here. He says, and therefore in order to create a motion, this dynamic that we are doing now for thousands of years in order to make the whole world that way, in order to bring motion to the world, that very dynamic had to come into play at least in a mini way for this one person. So that's why you needed to have the Bas Levi, his mother, Yocheved, was a very big tzaddikist. So she did all that work, messianic prep. Ish, the husband, he was, the, he was God's agent from above drawing down Amram this light. And the product of this union was Moshe, Whose his body was already, his body and soul were completely on par on the same level. Both of them totally one with God. He was a true levy, but his body was levy, not just the Moshe. All of this is related to the birth of Moshe. Moshe was on this level. From the onset, without work, he was born there. Moshe's body was bottled also from the body. His, his surrender to God he didn't need his neshama to inform his body the body was naturally nullified to the point that his body itself was a vessel to the divine now because he was able to stand when he was receiving prophecy what does that mean the call on all other prophets the idea that we said earlier that um, the soul is on a much higher level of the body is far away and we work the body is even by the biggest tzaddikim or prophets what is a prophecy? you communicate with God so you're experiencing the divine truth what would happen by most prophets when they receive prophecy their bodies would go haywire literally they would fall on the floor they would start experiencing convulsions they would start shaking and why? because the body couldn't tolerate this truth because it would knock the body out. The body couldn't relax when there's such a, because it was too intense for the body. The divine truth, the body couldn't handle because the body's very, the body lives in this state of self. It, it can't handle this and it, and it would destroy the body. So every, every prophecy was like almost like a destruction of their body. That they gather themselves up after the prophecy. Their bodies were, or we might say their bodies were knocked out so their souls can experience the prophecy almost more in a out-of-body experience because the body couldn't be a partner in it. Moshe, the Ramam says, Moshe was different than all of the prophets because Moshe spoke to God, like the verse says, like a person speaks to a friend. He didn't flinch. His body was perfectly comfortable. And the reason for that is because his body was all the time living in that truth. So it wasn't like, oh, now God is speaking to me. He, the body was one with the absolute truth that there is none but God and his physical flesh, his bones, literally sinews, his entire being was, 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 was fully one with that truth. So the, and therefore the prophecy was fully received in his body, not only in his soul. All their senses came to an end by prophecy. All other prophets, because of the era, like, like it's the, some of the prophets described, the era I saw, the epilopana, I fell on my face. 
And it also mentions by other prophets that they took off their clothing. Think by King Saul when he received the prophecy, he threw off his clothing. What does that mean? They were rolling naked around. That means they, it doesn't mean physically they took off their clothing. It means they removed, in order to receive the prophecy, they had to dis, disrobe their, from their body. They had to like kind of lift their souls out from their body. That they remove themselves from their, shut down all their physical sensors to experience the prophecy. That's why they looked a little crazy when they did this. That's why prophets look like a crazy person. And that's why they, they, they call the prophet the madman, because they look like men when they receive prophecy. There's a verse that says, how, how, how did this madman get in here? Because they would, they, their, their bodies would, would, would completely lose it. Moshe spoke to God face to face. Mouth to mouth, I speak to him. His physical body was living in absolute truth and it was in a state of absolute oneness and surrender to God and therefore it had no objection. It had no, there's no friction. That's why Moshe is called Ish. That's the secret of Ish. Ish is a messianic state when we will be Ishi, when when God and the world will be totally one, no friction. And that means even in the physical. So Moshe, therefore, is called a divine man. But it's interesting. He's highlighting over here not so much the word Elohim. He's highlighting over here more the word Ish, that Ish is even a bigger deal. He's called Ish because he already achieved this. Because his somethingness, his body, was in a state of absolute bittle. Thanks to who? His father and mother. <laughs> The Levi in his birth was It's like going to be like our children that are going to be born after Mashiach. They're also going to be that way because we are going to be already in terms of the collective experience. We have already all done that. We're just doing it in a way of bits and pieces, but it all collects together to create this one big state of godly revelation. And after the godly revelation, when we will bring children into this world, they will also be like Moshe in this state where they can talk to God face to face and not flinch. And that's why Torah was given through him. He needed to be the man to bring the Torah. The Torah, the idea of Torah is, what's the objective of Torah? What's its, the MS Hashem Olam to bring God's truth into the world. Through the Torah, God's truth is communicated to the world. When we say God's truth, it means the truth that he is and there's none but him. The higher knowledge that he will be completely revealed in the world, and that is through the Torah. And that was through Moshe. Like it says, remember Moshe, the Torah of Moshe. So you see how the Torah is identified to be belonging to Moshe, because Moshe is the agent of Torah. He was the, the vessel to this. To this revelation. That's why for the birth of Moshe, he makes first introduction. There was the input of the Ish. That means there was the input both from above and from below. The Baslevi was the attachment from below. The Ishmi Baslevi was the reciprocation from above. And the unification of these two forces 
which is really what takes place over millennia, millennia, millennia of time, in a, in, in a, in a uh, nutshell, it happened in their small marriage of these two people. And that's why they were able to capture messianic truth and create a messianic being, which was Moshe. Which is v'yelech ish, mepchenas tikroi ishi, from the level of ishi, my husband. Gilu mepchenas atzmos enso. The revelation of what's beyond the ray, of the essence of God. Why they bas Levi, and this is through the daughter of Levi, shu mepchenas is chabros, the attachment. Mepchenas bitala yesh, to nullify the somethingness, bitala miti, and the absolute bitl. Shayesh yegamke, that's also the Levi, bas Levi. To make that even the coarsest elements of us, of our everyday life, should be on the level of the purest grade of bittel and oneness. And through this, through this, through Baslevi, we draw down the Ishlevi, which is the idea that my husband will attach himself to me, that God will be attached to us with absolute attachment. Cholu, which is Mashiach is Wow, what a mind. This is one discourse of thousands of discourses. How much light. Again, this is from the Rebbe Rishab in the book, say from Amara Materas, deep mimer. And the uh, main thing is, we should already see the fruits of all these teachings. Chaim.